0: Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise, and yes, today, on location. We are here at KubeCon in Detroit, and we are discussing the premise of internal IT teams collaborating, or a lack thereof. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single topic. And on this episode, which is sponsored by RackN, we've got a great group. I'm Calvin Hendricks-Parker, I'm CTO and Co-Founder of Six Feet Up. I'm
1: Keith Townsend, Principal and Founder of the CTO Advisor. And I'm Rob Hirschfeld,
0: CEO and Co-Founder of RackN. So those of you who've been following uh, Gestalt IT and Tech Field Day have probably seen some content related to RackN over the last uh, few years. Essentially, though, uh, one of the things that we wanted to dive into today is a topic that actually has been coming up among all of us here at KubeCon and all sorts of... uh, you know conferences and so on, uh, and that's the challenge of uh, that internal uh, teams have in actually collaborating and sharing information and supporting each other and uh, basically leveraging their work throughout the entire IT stack. Now, most of the people listening to this podcast are in the IT community and have experienced this themselves. I think that you'll enjoy this conversation, but. Uh, let's sort of set the stage here. Rob, this is really um, a surprising thing. I think if people asked what is RackN, they wouldn't think collaboration among that's IT true. teams is what it is. But that's really your goal, right? Fundamentally, when we built RackN,
2: we set out to do something really remarkable. We We wanted to make it when we wrote automation or when our customers or community wrote automation, everybody could reuse that automation. We got really tired of seeing times when we would build something and it would be unique and bespoke to that one company, or even worse, a company would build a you know a Terraform plan or an Ansible playbook and only be able to use it within that one team. And they kept repeating the same work over and over and over again without being able to reuse it. And so when we started Rackn, we really focused on how do we make it so that when we fix and automate a problem or a application or a platform, that that automation is actually usable by everybody. That if we fix a bug, then everybody gets the benefit of that bug. If we improve performance or add a feature, everybody should get that, the, the benefit of that feature just by taking the new version of the automation. R- really, this is what we think of as infrastructure as code. It's really treating the automation as, as libraries and modules. So yeah, Stephen, we really look at this fundamentally as, how do we make automation more collaborative? How do we reduce the toil that everybody in the industry seems to be just accepting
1: as, as normal? So this problem exists all the way up to layer seven. My daughter does low code, no code, actually no code <laughs> development. Yeah. She has to do a bunch of logic trees and then that logic tree gets applied to a call tree for a, uh, a healthcare provider. Yeah. And the her common complaint is that it's repetitive work, that she could take the logic from one set of uh, work and use it so they thought they solved the problem they put they broke down the process into microservices so they're doing smaller projects but now they're running into this problem of when the new team goes to use it their release cycles etc etc so they have all the problems of a development team and it's all related to collaboration right so this is not just a low level thing where we're talking about you know deploying uh Eight thousand servers across the world. Right. This is all the way up to the application developer.
3: Yeah, I was going to kind of bring up the same point. is like if you've ever configured a CI pipeline these days, you know that there's like such a disjoint between the various APIs and services you want to talk to, as you're a developer who just wants to get code deployed to solve a single problem. But the the who put that CI pipeline together and what day of the week happened, you're going to end up with different results each time.
1: So, Rob, I'm really yeah. interested in this problem because it is—it seems intractable. The, okay. you know, every time, whenever I hear a business process that mimics a similar uh, technology right. problem, I'm thinking, okay, the folks who doesn't don't have to have to do code can't solve this problem. Is this a tool or is this a people problem?
2: Well, it's one of those things where you know. what people build typically models their organization problem. And I think Mm -hmm. there is a cycle here that's very real, where we've really spent a lot of time empowering teams to make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. And that that, that genie's out of the bottle. We're not going to come back and say, hey, wait a second, welcome back to the 80s. IT is going to tell you what to do now. But at the same time, what's happened is the vendors have come around behind it. And I think there's there's a There's an element here where people are getting what they ask for. They're like, my team is empowered to make decisions. Great. The vendors show up and say, well, if I can sell only what that team needs, or that one individual needs to solve their problem, then I can sell faster. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. what we've done by creating this distributed, this organization with a whole bunch of independent decision makers is we've incented the vendors to stop worrying about any collaboration between tools. And it's very hard to find times when you're like oh we actually build a product that's designed to help teams work together because actually doing that undermines your sales motion and so that that's one of the challenges Mm. that we see in how and how things are designed how decisions are being made you you have to organizationally come back and say oh wait a second it's really important that we start working together right We're, we're talking about platform teams a lot more and you know, I, I, I don't envy the organizations looking at platform teams because they're going to have to start corralling, you know,
1: hurting all those cats. It's hard. Yeah, we're at you're at KubeCon again, and I had dinner with a couple of really large organizations that are actually going through that change yes. of building platform teams and, you know, uh, and it, even if we just focus on open source, when we not talk yep. about vendors, and we look at open source for the past 10 years, you know, Rob, man, you bumped uh, 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 hands or fists or or feet yeah. in the OpenStack community, uh-huh. and that's still live and vibrant and, and, and running mission-critical applications with organizations, and they're deploying net new capabilities in Kubernetes now, and all that stuff is there. So yeah. how does the platform team have application developers that collaborate across these different underlays in a way that that makes sense. But, but even within the Kubernetes
2: framework, right, we have you know, tens, dozens of projects. And you, know, you might have organizations that decide they want to use different service mesh technologies. Mm-hmm. And, and corralling that back is going to be really hard. And, the, and by design, the open source communities do not want to make you, you know, any of those choices. They don't want to say, well, sorry, you know, Istio is our preference over Linkerd as a community, and so we've got both, which means organizations are picking up both. Um, and and in some ways that's good because it, it it has innovation, um, but you you end up without the compromise, right? So, we, we saw that
1: we see that all the right. sort of time. So to make it real, uh, so folks in this audience, whether or not you've used Linkerd D or Istio in the past, the question have happens when you have two different data planes and security planes like that, and the auditor comes in and show and says, Show me that you're enforcing the policy, the intended policy. Now you have to look at two different tools uh-huh. to do that. This is the point of collaboration where, sure, use the tool that you that you most want to use, but when there's a universal uh uh need how do we come together and collaborate and show the auditor that universally we're, right. we're enforcing our security organization's policy so
2: we, but what's what's the balance is it better for them to say you know what we really just want to use one tool so that we can get the benefits of shared knowledge that so right. we can get an audit we can we can actually do that work and you might not get to use your preferred mm. component in these tools um, and then that actually has its own thing you might get locked into something that Turns out not to be the better choice, and, and you might decide, yeah. you know. And this is what we realize with organizations that you don't get to make a choice that is permanent, no matter what you do. And this this is a, this is a real struggle to me because it's like we see organizations making you know good choices, but sometimes they make three good choices, and and that's okay. That has to be okay. So you can't just come around with the hammer and knock out the other two. Well, I was going to say, this. it's coming down to a, a human change management problem at that
3: point. But if you can get it down to just the one, you've simplified all that overhead. And you've got, everyone's got to lay down a law and say there's some opinions, but there's a way you do it to get everyone on board so that the, the whole group can move forward and actually collaborate. So, yeah. But
2: does that then turn into a, now we're locked into version X? and version Y comes out and you, some, you know, a group needs version Y. So it, it we don't even get the benefit That's of like, well, oh, we, we only have one thing. It's even with versions, you've got multiple.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been on the, I've been on, from a community perspective, I've been on the wrong side of this argument. So my argument is more of a traditional or has been more of a traditional IT approach to it. You can't give unlimited uh, options, because an organization is too big, and you have to put some guardrails around it. And earlier on, especially coming out of OpenStack and into Kubernetes, as that transition started to occur, the pushback that I received was: "See, now you're just making developer choice too hard, and developers should just go out and do whatever they want to do so that they can solve the business problem." But the business problem ends up becoming exactly what we're talking about now, which is technical debt and collaboration. How do yeah. I yeah. How do I, how do I sacrifice, how do I not sacrifice long-term stability for short-term gain of being able to move fast?
0: So I, I'm going to, it's so funny that you guys are, are going through this because uh, you guys have heard of Conway's Law, right? Which is that uh, the, uh, basically the result of a project will reflect the internal organization of the team that created it. Mm-hmm. And specifically with res- regard to software. And it seems so achingly, blindingly obvious that the problem that these companies are facing is Conway's Law, because essentially they have, as Rob said, set up their, um, you know, empowered their teams so much and set up their team's organizational structure to such an extent to be so um, individual focused to empower the individual developers or the individual you know, product line owners that they've ended up getting what they asked for, which is, uh, uh, you know, an infrastructure or a uh, pipeline that is individualized. So I will just kind of maybe be the devil's advocate here. Isn't this what companies want? Because that's what they asked for.
1: Yeah, I think the, I think <laughs> you're absolutely right. That's what companies asked for. I don't know if that's what they want. I think uh, you I, I wrote this piece uh, as a CTO short a few months ago that uh, and it's, uh, it was kind of a nod to the platform team what happens mm-hmm. 10 years after you build the thing? Like forget day 2, forget day 10 what happens day 3,000 plus? Yeah, 3,650 yeah. what happens then when no one, when I don't have a dedicated developer to the thing uh, I got into this back and forth and, and someone said well a a line of business should be able to make that decision and accept the risks associated to it. And the CIO should be okay with that. And I said, you know what, for the first year, that's fine. But then when that both teams turn over that's right. and that line of business now want to throw the application over to IT or some centralized function to manage it, none of those relationships exist to go back and point back and say we all agreed. and, and there's, there's no saying that the case.
0: organization even looks like that anymore. That's the thing. So you know the, the development team that may be producing you know creating this today, um, you know the, the company may be acquired, uh, managers will go, you know a whole software development methodologies, you know infrastructure methodologies, everything is going to change. and yet I guarantee you that whatever you set up as the artificial dividing line now, is going to continue to remain in place. Well, th- this is where it gets really interesting because I think in in CI in in the
2: in devs in dev worlds, right, um, we have built and accepted now that we have CI CD processes, and pipelines are fundamentally building that connective tissue that we're talking about. Right the thing that should terrify somebody is I go to an application that doesn't have a CI/CD process so I can't repeat and change it and fix it and I can't I don't have any way to recreate that build which is what we were at about 10 years ago and now that we've built CI/CD pipeline or CI pipelines they've actually been been places where you can start injecting other teams and and the collaboration can happen around those CI pipelines now right. sometimes we don't get there what what we don't have the same Im- infrastructure around yet is doing that on the infrastructure side, yeah. where we're actually building an infrastructure pipeline where you can say, you know what, here is my deployment model, and then my security team is gonna come in, my audit team is gonna come in, right. my Amazon team can work to to take over the Amazon piece, but it's the same pipeline that also does Azure or bare metal, right? right. And those and Those pi-
3: Those pipelines have given us opportunity now to not just write policy about how we're gonna implement software, but actually institute guardrails and checks right. that we can actually have like, Did these pass in a programmatic fashion every time it goes through the pipeline? And now we can deliver consistent software and repeatedly deliver it.
1: So let's zoom in and say if this, you know, let's put a finger on a person. Someone says, Keith, it's your job to figure this out within our organization. We're not gonna ask, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. the, the retail team to stop using Istio, and we're not gonna stop, we're not gonna ask the manufacturing team to stop using Linkerd. It's your job to answer the question of the auditor of how do we deploy uh, an environment that is secure and safe. Where, where do where do I start? Like the, these are two different things, two different operating models. I cl- I see clearly that from a high level there needs to be a, a CI/CD process, but when I uh, delve into the innards of of containers and security and all of that, that stuff is just incompatible with having a single collaborative function. Or it, it, on surface, it seems that way.
2: Well, it's, I think that one of the things that that people need to do when they make these choices is they need to look and they sort of have, have to start saying, even though I might be making a point choice for a tool, um, does it play well with things up and down the pipeline mm-hmm. from it? Because Mm -hmm. then you can start integrating back in. And it could be that you might choose a less um, uh, shiny technology if you're like, okay, wait a second, I can connect this more easily to other things up and down the pipe, Uh, right? I can can have operational controls and then actually connect things together. Because that's what I think is missing is, is that you might come in and be sold this amazing tool that does all these cool things and you're getting because it's designed for you to make a decision and solve your immediate problem and not come back and say wait a second does it collaborate with the other things in my in my market there was a um actually there was a talk at KubeCon. somebody was saying that we we chose um, one kubernetes edge technology over a different one because even though the first one had matched our team's needs exactly, it actually overlapped things that their other teams needed. And They made the, a, a, a choice to say we didn't need we you know we we avoided creating that type of.
3: of and there's so many other facets you got to look at too. Is like how many people are maintaining the product, like how active is the product, what's their pull requests. If you're looking at open source tooling, the free software you can go out and deploy. A team may have made a choice on a tool that looked really shiny, but maybe only have one person like maintaining it, and you've got that that problem of you know, the yeah. tragedy of the commons, and something just gets trashed and or it's becomes unmaintained. That I think it's like if you're looking at Keith as his job to like wrangle this all in. That's
1: mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, an aspect. So I think what what I heard from that is that I need to first have a pipeline. Like I, the I I need to understand. I Mm -hmm. need to at least, uh, even if it's not realistic to achieve day one, I should have a vision or architecture for Mm -hmm. what, what my pipeline would be. So whatever the process, now I may have several different pipelines. One may be for auditing, but the discussion I want to bring to those point architects or point engineers is that. Here's what we want to achieve organizationally. I'm giving you the freedom to go out and pick whatever solution meets your needs. But we have to, there is this directive from the business, whether it's audit, security, uh, uh, commercial, there's this this mandate that we're able to do this collectively as a group, and it's my job to make sure that you folks are working within the boundaries of that. And that Mm -hmm. becomes the boundary. I, I think that's a really nice way to say it. It's, you know,
2: I, I go back to, you know, like a, uh, the goal, goal rat, you know, how do you make sure that you're going that, that critical path through your organization? And you're, if you start by saying, all right, I know we need to connect all this stuff together and that's gonna come, right? That's, that's a principle that we need to, to adhere to. And as long as you know, you know, the teams are told that's coming, then they can make their local Optima decision with the, the knowledge that they're gonna have to share that back and forth. But I, I think if teams were doing that, uh, it would change how vendors interact. Also, mm. they'd be getting asked questions. Yeah. All right, how does this play with these other things that I already have in my in my field? I, right, it's too easy for a vendor to say it, it doesn't. Oh well, and for the the company to accept that and then not face a higher level audit that says, Oh wait, you made a decision that that doesn't
0: that it doesn't play well with others. Yeah, um, yeah. and if yeah. I may. You know, to kind of get back to that, you know, you're you're here, Rob, um, as a representative of a company that's developing a product that is intended to solve this. Correct. How, how does a tool solve this? How can vendors change their approach? Uh, how can they try to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem?
2: The way that we approach it um, is in that we actually look at this a pipeline, this end-to-end solution. And you know I don't think we actually have to have all the pieces for the end-to-end solution in place, right? Every customer has unique things that they need. They have their own services, they have their own scripts, they have you know, models of hardware that we've never seen or clouds that we haven't interfaced with, that's normal. But at the same time, if you can start with a long chain of automation that you can actually do work with, then you can find ways to then add in those, those missing pieces. But what, what we really work to do is think of it as passing state forward. The number one thing that breaks all of this, this concept is when uh, a tool looks at itself as the ultimate source of truth. Mm. And so if, if you have any, I mean, and, and Terraform's an example of this, Terraform has its own state file, and it really doesn't like state being injected or removed from that state file. It's just the design of the tool. And Terraform's amazing. People love it. It does a lot of good work, but it's not designed to be connected into the middle of a pipeline. And so it's very difficult to add in a process that does things before Terraform, and it's difficult to do things after Terraform. Um, And so it's it's, it's a really good example of an incredibly popular tool. That people have to actually look at, and and this is we're seeing this happen because we're having a lot of conversations about how do I orchestrate Terraform,
1: and orchestration is about connecting things, so connecting l- things together. Let's let's again make this real. Yeah, rack in. I can use rack in to deploy everything from I don't it, it can be a <laughs> Kubernetes cluster to a uh, the Linux OX to VMware vSphere on down to. Uh, normalizing the hardware un- totally. un- mm-hmm. under underneath Terraform is a pretty good tool for doing anything above that. The uh, if I want to uh, deploy a set of VMs, there will be pods, etc. I can put that. I can I can uh, use it to describe what I want to do on that infrastructure. Is one of the use cases? It totally is. Yeah. So the problem operationally I get is that. For me, as an architect, I look at the, that big picture, and those two are tied together. I can't roll back. I can't always roll back state of a terraform deployment without engaging with the truth of what is rack in what Rackin says my state is. So, ah. if, if I want to deploy a new, if I want to deploy a, a, a new uh, Linux kernel uh, that will support eBPF, so I can do something higher end. I need to know the state of the hardware underneath to do that, and, and that's, for me, that's one thing. It is the state of my entire infrastructure. But the, the thing that, that we did
2: very deliberately because when you're dealing with infrastructure, it can change outside of your control. Yes, right. It, you have to expect it network, to change we, outside we of your network. We control. haven't talked about
1: networking or anything like, which is another dependency, it, which is another thing that needs to. I need to know that state in order to in that condition. So, so when we build up a pipeline. What, what we have to
2: do is not start, you start with what you want with the intended state, right, mm-hmm. declarative state. But at the, at the same time, as that pipeline progresses, you learn things, you discover data, you make decisions that you can't make until you've reached a certain point in the pipeline. What we've done is instead of being, assuming we're the source of truth and putting a wall around that, what we've done is we've assumed that our state information is going to be updated and changed incrementally both by the pipelines that we're running but potentially by things outside of our control influencing what's going on in that pipeline so when we actually expose state as individual parameters and that's that's that that was a design choice we made in our current generation that transformed how we do these integrations because now you can say you know what i'm running infrastructure and even though i didn't make the change somebody can tell me that's that, that that it's changing, So
1: and that's important. The, the, this sounds too good to be true, so, right. you know, while, while sponsored, you know, <laughs> we, we, you know, we're our questions. So, <laughs> it, let's, 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 you know, give a real world example. Yeah. I have Juniper Apture managing the state and automation of my network. Yeah. Uh, I have my servers that are being managed by and from a configuration perspective. I want to change the, amount of data flowing out of a t- server, uh, its workload type, what it's hosting. But in order for that to happen, it has to be a 25 gig connection instead of a 10 gig connection. Sure, yeah. So, Astra does that configuration change. I don't want RackN to, uh, we, we've done the pipeline, RackN has done some a bunch of stuff, but yep. the, the prerequisite is that I have a 25 gig connection, I need to check for that. Sure. I check for that if it exists, and if it exists like ideally, if it exists, deploy it. If it doesn't exist, you know I'm going to deploy it, but I'm going to, I'm going to cripple or limit the system and what it can do because I'm limited by the connection. Sure. That's my ideal like scenario. So what you
2: were describing to me goes right back to our premise on the the conversation, which is that the tools that you're that you're used to using aren't used to talking to each other. No. Mm-hmm. And the thing that we had to fix is that in order for you to do that end-to-end pipeline, you actually have to coordinate the behavior of a lot of different infrastructure platforms and, t- and tools and CLIs and control planes. And so it's not a matter of, I just get to, pick one vendor or one tool or one thing what you actually have to do is say take that pipeline now now the pipeline really makes sense and inject in the middle of that pipeline i'm going to go check with my switch vendor using the switch vendors tools because we don't want to write our own tools It's like we didn't want to write all the cloud interfaces the terraform had they're great we use them and so But at the same time, Terraform might not have the interface that you need to the switch or the timing of running the plan might not line up. And so you say, you know what, I just want you to run a command against the switch. Here's my credentials. Tell me if it's right or not. If it is, use great. If not, throw a warning, right? Makes perfect sense. Inject that in the pipeline. And now you've got a pipeline for your configuration that makes a ton of sense. The thing that goes even further for us is because it's all reusable automation, if you had 10 data centers, you can then take that that snippet you added and then clone it to all your processes. Or go back and say, you know, hey Racken, I really like the way we're interfacing with the switch. Can we share that with other people? Mm -hmm. And now you actually have. You know, you get the benefit of like, oh wait, there might be other customers who would try that out, use it, and if they fix it or add a capability, you would get that capability without having to do it. Right. That's actually the the, the community benefit around automation should be much higher than it is. And that that's something that, you know, you have to want. You have to the the, the well, vendor has to want You the, have to facilitate it. Too. Do you have a way to facilitate
3: even cross-organizational collaboration on these various plugins or Capabilities that you can add into backend.
2: We do in that the the system that we build is highly modular. And so what we've recognized is that you know you don't want the Dell version right to drive the HP version to drive the Amazon version. So when we built the system, we decomposed the automation into modules. And they have dependency chains. All the, you have to do all the dependency mm-hmm. chains and things like that. But at the end of the day, you can say, you know what? I just need to fix my Terraform pieces because there's a bug there or there's a feature, and you can pull that forward. Um, and so that modularity allows you to have a customer who says, you know what? I added my pieces and they're at the very top, and then I have like the Dell stuff I need. Like you pick and choose what you want for your infrastructure, and then those are all stacked together. It's fundamentally just like coding, right? If I was writing a uh, program i would expect that i could bring in the libraries i need to do the work i need and i would expect that mm-hmm. if somebody fixes them that i would get the benefit of that and so that's that's what infrastructure as code is uh, the thing that was interesting to me is that we realized we couldn't separate infrastructure as code from pipelines yeah mm-hmm. they have to be connected together just like cicd from a dev tooling perspective provides this level of integration that that you can't get get away with otherwise so, speaking of CI CD,
3: can I fully test those pipelines on RackN before I run them? The, is it like a test kitchen type setup that I can use?
2: Uh, it's infrastructure, so it's very hard to yeah. do a real test. But, but, um, test in
1: production, what's the
2: problem? <laughs> well, the, the, that's the, a different premise. The thing, the thing that's been amazing with this is that you can actually do real dev test prod. And so, because of the amount of um, version control and fidelity in how that automation is built, we are incredibly um, uh, our our customers are incredibly confident when they test in 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 their dev environments, when they test in their their Mm -hmm. sit or 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 test you know their situation tests that that can then roll out into production. And the level of um, uh, production issues that we've seen with customers has dropped dramatically. Like they catch stuff so early we fix it and we go through it they they're not finding automation bugs in in production
3: right. well it's, it's the methodology like you 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 can repeatedly run it again and again and again and and so it gives you a lot more comfort level that when i get to production i can run it again and i can roll
2: back right again and, and again and again and re- and repeat it with fidelity right yeah. this is the thing that the thing that we were set out to build is just hey i want to be able to take automation and share it right and, reliably but when you do that, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second, I now have all my sites are running and I know what the version of the automation is. and I know how to, how to replicate this success. Um, yeah, that's been transformative. The, yeah. the value proposition of, of just the confidence mm-hmm. is super high. Um, the decomposition is really neat too because then you could start doing things like saying, oh, that, that switch interface I have, I actually can reuse everywhere and, and start replicating it. And then if you fix it in one site, you can, you can actually transfer that around.
0: That's collaboration. Yeah. And, and actually that's you know beyond the scope here of what we started with, but I think it's important. I think that's maybe an important kind of uh, go forward here is that, so we started by saying that vendors have made it too hard for internal groups to collaborate. What we've ended with is not only is it important for inter- internal groups to collaborate, it's important for uh, groups to collaborate, vendors to collaborate beyond the boundaries of internal versus external and that uh, everyone might want to share these things. And I think that that's a very powerful message. Mm-hmm. So uh, we do have to stop. We've actually gone a little long here, but um, it's such a great conversation. Um, where can we continue this conversation with each of you? Uh,
3: so I'm Calvin Henry parker HP on Twitter. And if you want to check out more automation and code, Python Web Conference will be coming up this spring. The call for papers is still up until mid-November.
1: If you wanna find out more about me or you wanna engage me online, Twitter, at CTO Advisor, we take stuff like this, put it in our data center CTO Advisor hybrid infrastructure, test it, validate it, you wanna find the results of that type of stuff, thectoadvisor.com forward slash projects.
2: And I am Rob Hirschfeld. You can find me online as an individual at ZEHICLE or RackN at Go. And if you wanna try out the type of collaborative infrastructure is code development that we've been talking about here, you can visit rackend.com slash trial. We have a super easy uh, self-trial that you
0: can go and download and start playing right away. And I am Stephen Foskett, the publisher of Gestalt IT. You can find me on these podcasts. Uh, you can find me also at gestaltit.com and techfielda.com. So thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe. You'll find us in your favorite podcast applications along with the other Gestalt IT podcasts. And you'll find us on YouTube at youtube slash gestaltitvideo. This podcast is brought to you by RackN as well as by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast.